0: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It's Tuesday, June 21st. That means it's time for another episode of the Power Hour. I'm being joined by the team from Pittsburgh Power. Looks like we've got Bruce and Pete and Leroy with us today. We'll get to them in just a couple minutes. We'll also get to your calls. Line them up. What happens on this show a lot of times is we get a bunch of calls right at the end, and today at 1230, we have to switch into the pit. So let's get the calls in, line them up, 855-950-3835. We will talk about anything maintenance-related, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it. We'll talk about it, even vibrations if we have to. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. We'll get to those calls here in just a couple minutes. We have got a lot of stuff going on this week. Like I'm trying to keep it all straight in my head. Uh, We have some great shows. We do have The Pit coming up later today. That'll be at 12.30 Eastern, 9.30 here on the West Coast, Uh, I'm not sure who's joining me yet. I think uh, John can't make it today. I think I'm waiting to hear from Stan. If I have to, I'll just do the show myself. I have a ton of things I want to talk about on that show. Um, Tomorrow, we have a lot going on. It's Destination Health Day, and we have a guest tomorrow, someone I'm really excited uh, to talk to, the uh, owner and founder of Azure Standard, the uh, largest organic food distribution company. I forget the exact um, spec for that, but they're, they're big. They're all over the place. It's an awesome company in so many ways. We have a lot of things we're going to talk with them about on Friday. Um, we also have another guest. Um, Eric from Garmin will be back. Eric's been on with us many times. We're going to be talking about uh, some new and exciting stuff we'll probably go over the watch and some of the other software updates we've done on the watch but there's some new and exciting things coming out as well uh with garmin that we'll be talking about uh, boy i know there's more i just i, I have, i've got a lot going on this week a lot of things i want to talk about and only so many so much time so we should probably just get to it today um I'm going to talk with Bruce and Pete and Leroy for a little bit. In the meantime, you should be lining up your calls. If you want to get in, if you dial right now, I promise you'll get a line and we'll get to your question. 855-950-3835. Looks like Bruce is up first on the board today. Bruce, welcome back.
1: Well, thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure.
0: What's uh, what's new and exciting in your world this week?
1: Well, today's the longest day of summer. So that means tomorrow we start to lose upwards to a minute a day. That's sad. And I, I love. Yeah, it's sad. I love daylight and sunshine. So
0: yeah, today last is, night
1: day to celebrate. I,
0: I was noticing last night that uh, I went. I, I think I fell asleep before the sun went down last night.
1: There you go. Okay. So another thing I wanna mention is cruise control. People are changing gears, She's making lots of changes in the truck programming, but they just want to hold the steering wheel and not drive the truck and watch the boost gauge and let the cruise control take it up and down the hills. And they're gaining very little on mile per gallon and they're they're saying well, what went wrong? and what's wrong wrong is you're not driving your truck you cannot let cruise control drive on rolling hills or mountains
0: Yeah, actually, cruise control does the exact opposite of what we really want to do to get better fuel economy. We're trying to use as little boost and as little horsepower as we can to get up the hill in a reasonable amount of time. And you do that by driving the truck. The cruise control only knows one thing. You told it you want the truck to go this fast, and it will do everything it has to do to try to go that fast.
1: That's right. And it will keep hard on the throttle even as it's cresting the hill. And it doesn't kind of let up until you start down the other side. And people need to think like a roller coaster. A roller coaster accelerates on the downhill side. It loses some speed on the uphill side. It crests the hill. And if you use that boost gauge and if you know that hill, and let's say it takes 28 pounds of boost to go up that hill with a reasonable speed. And if you pre-accelerate into it, and already have your twenty-eight pound of boost built down in the valley, you may find that you may be able to go up there at twenty-two or twenty-four pound of boost. Might be a mile or two slower than what you normally went, but you just saved a hundred horsepower. You
0: and know, Bruce, I,
1: I that's talk a all frustrating. That. Oh, go ahead. It's a little frustrating when. People don't want to drive the truck. They just want them to hold the steering wheel. It gets, it gets very frustrating for me on the phone. So,
0: Yeah, you know, I talk all the time about how I drove slow in the truck. I still drive slow in the coach most of the time. The one time I appreciate being out west with the crazy high-speed limits, like 80 miles an hour in some of these states, the only time that really matters to me, because I'm driving around at 60 and the speed limit's 80, But it does matter to me on the downhills. I will do 80 on the downhill to get that. I can. It's legal. I don't have to worry about getting a ticket. I actually like it on the West Coast. Reasonably safe. You know, I'm not going to try to come down cabbage at 80 miles an hour, obviously. But that last stretch of cabbage, which is just a nice straight shot at the bottom, I'll let it roll up, you know, to speed there. But that's about the only time I use those speeds, but I will use those 70, yeah. 75, 80 mile an hour speed limits to go down hills fast.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, and you that's know, free energy. Whether you're gonna drive 65 or 68 or 72, but you drive it with the boost gauge and you see where you can use your reasonable boost and maintain the speed that you need. But allowing the cruise control to just drive it almost 100% of the time does not work. And then I had an interesting conversation today with uh, Ralph. And, and you've talked to this, fellow. He runs a C12 Cat from Boise to Salt Lake with light loads. Doing 390 gears and speed. Okay, yeah. Transmission. And, and he's the guy that took out the inner tire and just runs the standard tire on the outside because he's so light. Got it. But he's at 9.8 to 10.1 mile per gallon. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Um, The new catalyst, the new catalyst we're coming out with strictly for fuel mileage. Dr. Jane is cooking up 20 gallons for us right now. Uh, He's going to be one of the test trucks. I have about 12 guys that are going to be testing it and we should have it another uh, we should have it be bottled in about the beginning of next week and get it out to several owner-operators. And It's made to be mixed with the catalyst, so it'll still be one ounce of catalyst to 25-gallon and one ounce of the mileage improver to 25-gallon. So let's see what happens.
0: Uh, yeah, you, you, I'm still the biggest skeptic about this one. I, all, all I'm looking for are the numbers. You know, we, we know how to test things. We know we how know. to prove whether it works or not. And I'm excited about it. But, I, I you know, I've been the guy that's been saying for Man. 30 years, there are no fuel additives that truly improve fuel economy. What some of them do is clean up the system so you get back to where you should have been. Um, there is a little mm-hmm. bit of truth to in some cases cetane boosters can actually improve fuel economy a little bit but uh, Mm -hmm. for the most part all of these products over all these years that were designed to improve fuel economy never worked so i'm i'm excited about this the numbers will tell us but uh i'm i'm skeptical we'll see
1: don't underestimate dr jane Gates.
0: that's that's why I'm excited because what she was able to She's do with the catalyst. Girl.
1: Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. And uh, that's all I have right now. Pete's going to talk about the upcoming show in Iowa. And, uh, so,
0: excellent. All right. Well, let's that's bring for me. Let's bring those guys in there. Uh, Pete, you're up next. Welcome.
2: Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind this week? One of you talking about numbers, there's a, a saying I like that liars don't figure and, and figures don't lie. Yeah. And I, I kind of I, I like that. I mean, it, it, it works. And it, like you said, numbers are what matters. Let's see what it does.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we've been testing fuel mileage stuff for a lot of years. I When I had my own trucks, that was the best situation. I was able to really control a lot of things. You know, we've got so many guys out there that have been doing this for years now that we use when we want to test something. I know you guys have the same thing. And, you know, our number on this, for me, anyway, my number's always been about 70%. If, if we... Do something to 10 trucks, or we try something in 10 trucks. If we get a positive fuel mileage result out of seven of them, I am sure that it works at that point. I've never seen all 10. There's just too many variables. There's too many other things that can change fuel economy on a single truck that, you know, 70%. And honestly, I will tell you, it's not easy to find something that improves fuel mileage 70% of the time. There's, it, most of the stuff we've tested over the years doesn't meet that um, challenge at all. Uh, so when we find something that does, we're confident that it really works. So we'll, uh, we'll use that same standard for this and see if we can get a 70%, uh, you know, an increase in 70% of the trucks.
2: You know, if you go out and buy ten trucks, Kevin. We can try all this stuff. Perfect test subject.
0: There you go. Well, you know, I've got a, I've got an order in for ten Teslas. Will, will that work? <laughs> they win. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> you know, there are times oh. when I, you know, selling my trucks and selling my trucking company probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. I normally do not have trouble making big decisions. I don't have trouble making little decisions. I usually just make a decision and move forward. That one, though, took me a long time. I'd had those trucks for a long time. They made money. Um, I, I was able to test all these things, and I learned so much from having them. But it was really time, and I'm I'm glad I did it. It was the right thing to do. But there are times when I miss them. I'd really lately I'd really like to have trucks back. You know when when it's kind of funny when the market was just cranking. I really didn't care. I, that wasn't the big. I'm glad it was great for everybody else. I had no real interest in getting into it. It's kind of like now the market is going to be so challenging. This is when I'd rather be in, but. I can't go do that. We have too much going on. Oh, you're getting older. Yeah, that
2: might be. That's too much work. A lot of work to have 10 trucks. Imagine trying to find 10 drivers.
0: Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. Although in about six months, it won't That's be that the hard. part of it. Yeah. In six months, that won't be the hard part. This is finding freight at that point then. Yeah. Freight that pays reasonable, yeah.
2: I was going to talk about the Walcott Truck Show it is um, July 14th through 16th, so we'll be there again this year. Uh, they're great people to work with, so we'll be there in case anyone wants to stop in. And um, also going to talk about the big cams. I know it's a little bit old, but I'm getting a lot of phone calls for big cams, and this time of year we're doing a lot with converting the low-flow cooling system to the full flow. So Cummins came out with low-flow late 85, early 6 on their Big Camp 4s. And the, the principle behind it was that they would warm up quicker. Those old Big Camps could idle all day long and not make any heat. Um, and obviously at that point, they're not efficient, and they pollute quite a bit. So the low-flow cooling came out. The problem was it just didn't cool off, and they would run hot. Hot enough to the point where they would score liners. So we can convert them from low flow to high flow. and It's fairly involved. Um, it's more than just a radiator. It's a bunch of parts, some new parts, some used parts. We've we'll been doing a lot of that and I, I have a lot of this stuff in stock now. So Anyone that's interested in converting their big cam Ford to full flow, give, give us a call and we can get them set up for it. And it eliminates like, like the 444s are great engines, but they had a heating issue. If you convert it to full flow cooling, you Really eliminate the only problem that engine had. It was a you know really a good engine to work with.
3: Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, not as good as an Isaac. <laughs> <debating on> more, <laughs> or, I think. Mean, Kevin's uh, debating
2: me on. that one. Leroy's debating me on that one. He can't plug
3: into it, afraid of it. Yeah, like you're saying about the cutouts that they were doing in the shop. Like, oh, you got to take the valve cover off, and then you got to do this, that, like, click. So we have a a big
2: cam that when you got to shut it off, it would diesel. So it's got a bad injector. So on a new truck, Leroy would plug in and shut off a cylinder one at a time. But with the older engines, you would take the valve covers and jakes off. And someone would work the key, and then someone would be on the engine, and you would short out cylinders manually. You'd you'd put a socket um, over the adjustment screw and short out the injector. And if that's the one that shut the truck off, that was your bad injector. Exactly. He, thought, uh, he was surprised.
3: Yeah. No, we did it. You yeah, know, that's, that's pretty involved for a cutout. Test. <laughs> uh,
0: well, well, here's the thing, Lee. Right, you are correct. It is pretty involved. But I would venture to say that there are a whole lot more people still around that could do that as compared to do what you have to do.
3: Ah, uh, no, it's like three clicks. Easy connect, <laughs> test, cutout test. Bada bing, bada boom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm going to jump in here with the topic I thought I might talk about. Um, so I've got a really good book. I highly recommend this to everybody, even if you're really good at troubleshooting. If you're really good at troubleshooting, you're not going to get a ton out of this book, but it's a really interesting read. It's not that long. It's uh, I've got it in paperback and it's less than a hundred pages. But it's really good. It's called How to Find a Wolf in Siberia or How to Troubleshoot Practically Anything. And the chapter I'm on right now it is, really explains this. Leroy, you are right. Your way of being able to do it is much easier and much faster. But a lot of people can't do it, and this chapter explains why. Before you can troubleshoot something, you have to understand how that system works. And I can tell you, I understand how the injectors, the jakes, all the physical, mechanical parts of that engine work, but I don't really understand how the ECM works. I mean, I have the basics and all that, but it's pretty damn complicated. You have to know what all the sensors are sending back to the ECM and what the ECM, that it's much, much more difficult to learn that system, once you learn it, yeah, your troubleshooting method for this problem is much faster. But how many people really understand what's going on
3: in electronics? Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Fair. Maybe we should make a video about uh, you know, how the sensors affect you know certain things and how that, the, sort of the ECM works. That'd overall. be awesome. Like, it should, yeah, generally. I would love that. Yeah, but, we can go into different ones because they don't all work the same. Like ISXs work different than DDs, and DDs work different than Volvo's, and even an old ISX works different than the new ones. So, yeah, we can go into that. Yeah, really, you know what we're getting
0: down to here? when we When I say, you know, I know how injectors work, I know how a piston works, I know what the engine is doing, it's mixing fuel and air. That applies to virtually every internal combustion engine. Once I know those, the basics of the physics of what's happening, then I can apply it to even weird engines. You know, I, can, I can look at a rotary engine and still understand what it's doing. I can look at an opposed piston engine, which is wildly different from you know, a straight six, but I still understand everything that's happening really what we're talking about when we talk about ECMs and sensors, if we understood the basics of computers, we would kind of get this. And even though I've been working with computers for 30 years and I'm pretty good at it, I still really don't understand what's happening in there.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I feel like some people ask me like, Oh, well, what can I read to like, you know, catch myself up on this? I mean, I I think when it comes to trying to learn how an ECM works, if you're like, Oh, how does the computer work? I feel like you're going to get into the weeds of probably you know, a yeah. lot of stuff that's helpful, but like, not, it's like, how do taxes work? But then they're like, uh, <laughs> let's explain the economy. Or how, <laughs> how does currency, work? you know, it's not helping you with taxes, but I, I know about money and euros and, you yeah, know, that's a good point. Stuff like that. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So, yeah, you kind of need something more tailored to what you're trying to actually work on. Yeah.
0: Well, back to the book. Everybody should go get this, called How to Find a Wolf in Siberia by Don Jones. Excellent little book. Um, Pete, back to you. What else you got?
1: Oh, that was it for
2: today. Did you talk about Walcott? Come around in the... Um, the stock i mentioned that the show is july 14th and 16th and and we'll be there
0: okay got it i guess that's all anybody really needs to know yeah yeah Yeah, it's kind of hard to miss too for sure all right so uh i thought i had something else but it leroy it's your turn maybe i'll think about what else i had what's on your mind this week
3: Um, so we, uh, we had a little bit of extra time this week. So, um, we had a C16 that a customer bought. Um, it's just an engine that's sitting on the floor and it's out of a gen set. Um, and he wants to put it inside of a truck. And even though a lot of the engine is sort of shared with like a 5EK or a 6NZ, it, it's sort of like a scrapped in engine. I feel like when Kat put this together, because it has like, you know, like a five EK head on it. And it has, uh, you know, like a five EK block and a five, but it has like a five DS crank and a C18 cam. Like it's all parts that they already had, but they all, they just kind of put it all together to make a different engine. I'm not sure why, I guess, because it needed more power for uh, a generator situation. But anyway, this guy wants to put it in his truck and, the first thing you have to do is you have to change the ecm if you want like jake for instance that's the biggest reason because the generator doesn't have jake brakes um so we have to change all the electronics over mm-hmm. to like an on highway cruise control jake etc so we put a different ecm on it and the the sort of the interesting part was we weren't sure i wasn't sure how it was going to run because like i said it has a different cam and it also has a different cam gear and timing wheel and uh, timing sensor and everything. So I was like, well, before this guy gets too excited about whether he can put this in his truck or not, maybe we should see if we can even get it to run and see how it runs, you know, because like I said, it's sort of a parts bin thing, and I don't know how it's going to go once we put it all together. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was a little nervous about it, and we ended up just putting like a 5EK uh, cam and using one of the, the holes that they already had drilled in the front cover. And we hooked it all up, put a, some hoses in a little jug, a fuel jug on the floor, hooked 24 volts up because it's a 24-volt system. And we fired it up on the floor, and it took like three cranks. I don't know how long in junkyard. It took like three cranks, and it fired right up. And it sound, sounded okay. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. I thought it was going to take a yeah. a lot more to get this thing sorted and. Uh, I mean, it still needs some more, like, the boost sensor doesn't read right and stuff like that. But it's pretty well uh, a few little changes that we need for a genset engine to turn back into an on-highway
1: engine. Leroy was never a junkyard engine. It came out of a genset that was currently being used, but they were told they had to update to get to Tier 4 emissions, and that's why the Mm gensets were sold.
3: So, Uh, Yeah. I guess junkyard is unfair. It just it had like that paint marker on the front, which is pretty typical for a junkyard. But apologize, not a junkyard, salvage salvage yard, (laughs) repurposed yard. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, recycling. No, but
1: it wasn't. It never was that. It was used right outside of Washington D.C., and that was the problem.
0: So Leroy we're going to go back to my uh some of my ignorance of the basics of electricity. You said this is a 20 24 volt system and I'm trying to think about an engine. What makes this a 24 volt system? The alternator? Does it charge in 24 volts? What am I I don't what does that even mean?
3: I mean just the Like, uh, so, like a truck is a 12-volt system, so if you were to put a multimeter across it, you measure 12 volts. This one is in 24 volts, so it has 12-volt batteries, but they're wired in series, so you add the voltages together, so you get 12 plus 12 is 24 volts. 24 volts ran the ECM, 24 volts ran the starter, 24 volts ran, uh, like, the electronics for um, like the the genset, all the switches for that part of it. Uh, I can't really think of a, a necessarily a reason to go to 24 volts besides the higher voltage, the less current that you have to use because you have more voltage behind it. So maybe that's why they do it in a gen set, but I'm not sure why the reason they would do that in a gen set. Is. So how
0: does that work then when we put it into a truck where everything else is 12 volt?
3: Well, that's what we have to swap everything over. So oh, we okay. have to swap the ECM over. We're going to, change starter. Um, there's not too much other stuff because like, we don't have the generator, the genset set part. We don't have to worry about any of those electronics or the switchboard or anything. We pretty much just have to change the ECM and the starter. Uh, but yeah, where it came out of was originally 24 volts. What about the alternator? Uh, you can just run it. It doesn't have one on it right now. You can just put a 12 volt one on it. So all the alternator is going to do is just provide 12, well, I guess like 14 volts to charge the battery. So... Okay, Um, got it. If you wanted to run a 24-volt one, you could do that. but uh, No point. Just everything in the system has to be, yeah, everything in the system either has to, like, match. It all has to be 12 volts, all has to be 24. So if you wanted to run 24 volts, then everything has to be that way.
0: Which would be almost impossible in a
3: truck. I mean, yeah, because there's a lot of other stuff that probably isn't designed to run 24 volts. Like, I think an on-highway ECM. Like this five EK ECM will handle twenty four volts because I think part number wise you could use it for equipment or on highway, but like the dash isn't going to like twenty four volts. That's kind of what I thought. Or yeah. uh, if it has you know, cap rollers or this, they're not meant to handle twenty four, so uh, that's why you'd have to switch the whole system back over. Got it.
0: All right. Uh, Anybody else have anything or should we get? Oh, I know I have something. I knew I knew there was something else I wanted to talk about. Um, We released our app to listen to the show. So for all the people right now who are listening on uh, any other option, whether it's, you know, listening on our website, um, listening wherever the app is out of beta and both Android and iOS, Apple. So all you have to do right now is go to the App Store, search for Let's Truck, uh, find the app, and kudos to Aaron and Lisa and the team on the app because it is incredible. Uh, So many really cool features on our app that make listening to the shows so much better. You can listen to all the shows. They're all sorted. You listen to them anytime you want. It keeps track of what you've listened to, what you haven't. You can go back, the app already has tons of past shows on it, so you can go back, once you download the app, you can go uh, listen to all the shows that are out there, and we are constantly going to be adding features. So, now that the team has got the app out into the wild, uh, we'll continue to work on it, but our... our um, Programming team is now going to start working on the infrastructure for us to do the show. All this software that we're using right now um, belongs to somebody else. Our phone system, we're you know leasing. Our uh, streaming software is somebody else's. Uh, we've got all these pieces that we had to put together to make this all work, to be able to be live and to be able to take callers. And most podcasts don't work like this. I mean, we're kind of a hybrid between a podcast and a, a radio show. We're live. We have callers. We are recorded. You can listen anytime you want. But we are building all of our own infrastructure to get rid of all of that. So, Everything we use to to do this show, to stream the show, to save the show, everything will be our own software. I watched a, a cool interview with uh, Kid Rock the other day, and you know he's uh, he's an interesting guy. he's a really interesting guy. but uh, one of the things he said was, you know with what's going on in the world right now, the whole cancel culture, he basically said. F all of you. You can't cancel me. I'm not beholden to anybody, not a record company, nothing. So that's where we're going to get. We're going to get to the point where you can't cancel us no matter how hard you try. Uh, So we're excited about that. The app's out. Go get it. It's awesome. It's just going to keep getting better and better all the time. And now we'll start working on uh, infrastructure to make this this show and the entire network even better. So I'm excited about that. All right. With that, we're going to get to the phones. Uh, I don't know what happened. Hey,
1: ahead. Hey, hey, like a, go ahead, Bruce. Kevin, yeah. hold on one second. Pete, hey, do you have the list of the TA truck stops that now have the catalyst in stock? Did
5: we lose feet? Um, oh, uh,
0: here. There you go.
1: Go ahead. Um, you hear me? Here, oh, I here, Debbie just handed it to me. Okay, so the TA in Columbia, New Jersey, Duncan, South Carolina, Wildwood, Florida, Whitesville, am I saying that right? W-Y-T-H-E, Whitville, Virginia, Gerard, Ohio, Reddick, Florida, Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Those are the PAs that currently have the max mileage fuel borne catalyst in stock. Excellent. And I think we probably have that on our website. Got it.
0: All right. Good. We do. Good. So we had some calls. We still have some calls. We lost a bunch. Not sure what happened with the phones there. So if you dial right now, we're getting to the calls right now. So line them up. It's, uh, it's time to talk about what you want to talk about. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything about maintenance, pick up the phone and dial right now. I promise you'll get through 855-950-3835. We're going to head off to West Virginia this time. Doug, welcome to the program.
6: Good morning, gentlemen. Kevin, I downloaded the app yesterday. The user interface is very simple. The audio quality is top-notch. I couldn't be happier with the app.
0: Oh, thank you for that feedback. I love that. Like I, uh, I only had a little part to play in it. I, I really focused on trying to get the audio quality up. Now my challenge that I'm working on is getting the audio quality up in a mobile setup both for myself when I travel, because right now I've got a board and some physical equipment that I really don't want to have to take with me when I travel. Um, and all of our remote hosts, like when you know Bruce is remote right now, um, John and Joel are always remote. So my next Project The one I'm I'm working on right now is getting that same level of audio quality on uh, a mobile setup for myself and some of the other hosts. But uh, we are very, very happy with the app and how everything came out. So thanks for that feedback.
6: Now, for the basis of my call today, I heard Bruce mention the fuel mileage improver last week. And I heard him mention it again today. I am very interested in becoming a tester. I'm willing to pay for the product. That's not a problem. And I'm, I'm going to say that I'd probably be an ideal test subject because I run a dedicated route from Columbus, Ohio to Swedesboro, New Jersey. The freight weight is always within 5,000 pounds. And I'm on fuel gauges. I've got currently, I think, 465 fuel ups in the system, and very easy to track any differences.
1: Hey, call me. Call me about 15 or 20 minutes after the show.
6: Shall do.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you will make a perfect addition to the testing. That is one of the things I'd love to have. Um, the more trucks we can get in the test where we can control any of the variables, and you have several variables that we're able to control, same route, same weight, same driver. Um, we've got a lot of uh, consistency there. So the more trucks we get into the testing that we can eliminate some of those variables, the more accurate the numbers start to become. So sounds like you are. Yeah, the only and-
6: variables I really have are. The only variables I have are weather and fuel quality.
0: And the other thing that you have that really helps is 465 fuel ups in the system. We have a lot of history there to see what your fuel mileage is, how it reacts to different things. Now we can see how this uh, product will affect it.
6: And I'll step aside so you can get more callers.
0: All right, good stuff. Let's... uh, Calls are starting to come in. We still have some room. If you want to jump in right now, Um, we've got time left. We're going to go to uh, 930 today here on the West Coast. So jump in and join us. Let's go to Dallas this time. Mike, welcome to the program. Hello. Yep, it's your turn. What's on your mind today?
4: Oh, okay. Um, I have a 3500 Ram uh, pickup. And I, what it does, I've been going down the road and it will just cut out. It'll only be like maybe three or four seconds and then the power will come back. Um, it doesn't die, but it just cuts out. I have put a throttle body on it that, well, they, everybody that I talk to says it's not a throttle body, but it, you know, old, old school everybody would say it's a throttle body. Um, and, It's electronic, and I also have put the pedal positioning sensor on it, and there was one other little thing I put on it, um, and it still does it. Any
3: thoughts? Does it throw any check engine lights or anything when it acts up? Well, it it does, and the problem that
4: I'm having with most people uh, when I take it they they are not, they said it's not like, I guess RAM is like, they don't throw the codes and stuff. They have their own system, uh, I think is what I'm kind of understanding. But what it throws is it has a lightning bolt, and I assume that's about a le- electrical. I mean, but other than that, it, there's nothing.
3: Um, I thought the lightning bolt was for like the charging system. I thought that's what that meant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, the only thing, well, I mean, there, there's a, like a whole bunch of things it could be doing. It could be going into limp mode. You could, even though you replace the sensor for the throttle, it could be the, the throttle itself. So like the wiring, uh, that goes to it that could be acting up uh-huh. Could be the ECM, ECM, it could be a D rate. The only, the thing I would do if I were you uh-huh. is,
1: uh-huh.
3: um, Take it down the road with like some sort of basic scanner. Uh, you, you know, you can just get one from like, you know, uh, online Amazon, Harbor Freight, something like that that just monitors generic parameters like throttle position, uh, things like that. Take it down the road and see when it acts up. Does your throttle position go from eighty percent to zero percent, and then you know, can you oh. can you correlate some sort of change in uh, value that you are seeing? with the truck. So if you have a whole bunch of things pulled up and you're doing like a uh, steady down the highway, 60 miles an hour, all the values should be about the same. They're not going to be jumping around like intake air temp, sure. not going to go down. Just kind of stay right there. And then all of a sudden you feel the issue. Do you see a change uh-huh. in any of the readings? Um, uh, so is, okay. That's a good place now, to start. And it's usually reading that- like, okay, well intake air temp went from 80 degrees to 280. Like, okay. Well, that might be causing a D rate. That's a good place to start. Oh, huh.
4: okay. And uh, you said the sensor that I would get would be uh, one I could just get. Where, like, like what kind of sensor? Uh, like, I mean, uh, the generic, like thing. a reader.
3: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. you can get the. Um, yeah. You don't really need There's anything. Not something that's really important. that expensive, yeah. even. Yeah, no. Because I mean, all those, okay. the parameters it's going to read is generic they have to be by law so you can oh, read okay. that with a snap on one you can read the harbor freight one they're going to read the same. Oh, okay that okay perfect yeah.
4: great that'll give at least give me somewhere to start other than throwing the parts at it because i spent you know already a couple thousand dollars just on trying to get it fixed so i was like man we got to figure something out with this thing <laughs> Great. Yeah. I and mean, well, other than that, it runs great, you know, and it, it might not do it for, you know, a week or two. And then it just does it might be two times or three times, you know, in a row and then it doesn't. Yeah. it's kind of weird.
3: Yeah. It's going to be hard to catch. I mean, like I said, like with just that sort of issue, it could be a lot of things, but you know. Okay. But if I have it plugged in, then I can keep watching it. Yeah. yeah.
4: yeah it's, well, those it's, and e. Coast, will those and numbers stay hard. on there? Or will I have to be actually looking at it when it does it?
3: You will have to watch it live, time. Okay, that's why All it might right, be cool. easy. to uh, Get a friend. So we'll record it. Okay. Yeah. Well, the teachers yeah, yeah. don't record it. Yeah. The, um, some sort of camera or a phone or like um, you have your selfie stick, like duct tape to yeah. the headrest. You know, dude.
4: Yeah, right. I can't right. Try it. What? You creative.
3: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Well, I appreciate
4: that. We'll give her a shot. All
0: Thank right. You. Thanks for the call. You know, there's a good example of when somebody calls now with a you know smaller pickup truck, even some of the you know mid-sized class five six kind of stuff. My first response is I, I really don't know anything about those. You know, we don't work on them. I have no experience with them. But if we go back to when all these engines would have been mechanical. I wouldn't have said that. You call me with a, you know, a mechanical diesel and a pickup truck. I still understand how it works and I'd be able to do something. But, you know, electronics are complicated enough. These systems are becoming so proprietary now that when I hear that pickup truck, I'm like, yeah, I probably can't help much. But then we look at, you know, Leroy, you were able to jump in because you understand the new system so much better. That part of it so even if you've never worked on one of these, you can still understand a lot of what's going on.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I have a bit of experience with the, the Ram because I did an engine swap into a, uh, into a different pickup. So I have a lot of intimate knowledge and uh, <laughs> a lot of hard yeah. beating head right off the wall. Cause that swap was not easy. And yeah, so I had to learn a lot about it. So, Good.
0: Good. All right. Let's grab another call. Lines are open. It is the power hour. If you want to jump in right now, you'll be able to grab an open line. 855-950-3835 is the number to join us. Jump in now. I promise we'll get to your call. Let's go to Florida. Randall, welcome to the program.
7: Hey, Kevin. Pleasure to talk to you, sir.
0: What's on your mind today?
7: I've got a, well, I've got a quick question. Um, I've been back on the road after home time for a few weeks and I've noticed a lot of retreads on the side of the road, a lot of trucks blowing tires. And I was just wondering for summertime, especially with this hot summer, uh, what kind of pressures would you recommend on our steers and our drives? More.
8: that's always
0: lower. Okay. That's always the answer when it comes to air pressure in tires more, you know, we, we have to keep trying to get this idea out there because I'm, I'm shocked that we still don't get this. If you talk to people who work on tires and understand tires, they will tell you some version of this. The numbers might change a little bit, but like, over 90% of the tire problems we see are caused by underinflation. If it's an inflation problem, we also have alignment problems and balance problems. But if it's an inflation problem, it's almost always underinflation, never overinflation. We okay. almost never see a, a problem caused because somebody put too much air in a tire. That almost never happens. Now, people start getting weird about the heat because, yes, when you put that tire gauge onto a tire that's been sitting in a 100 degrees with the sun beating on it, the pressure is going to be a lot higher. And people freak out and think they need to take pressure out. Don't do it. You leave the pressure in there. You should probably add more. Now, people are going to say, oh, my God, but I know that when I run my tire from cold in the morning and I start driving it, my pressure Mm -hmm. goes up. Yes, it does. Here's the interesting thing. If you start with a tire that has too low of pressure on a really hot day, the differential between your cold temperature and your hot temperature is going to be much bigger. If you start with high pressure in the morning on a hot day, it won't go up as much. So you actually end up with, even though you started with more pressure, when you get up to operating speed and temperature, you're going to have less pressure. And people go, well, that doesn't make sense. It does, let's go back to the troubleshooting no. thing, if you understand the system and what's happening. So when we put less pressure in a tire, what happens to the sidewall? It flexes more and heat builds up. Exactly. That's, that's it right there. That's the whole thing here. So if you put more pressure in that tire on a hot day and the sidewall can't flex as much, you won't get as much pressure as it gets hot.
1: Oh, okay. Um, do you mind
7: if I get a gut check from you? Um, you know, I'm a company driver, but I, I treat the truck like it's mine because it's still my living, even though it's not my truck. Good. And typically what I run in the winter time and in the spring and fall is 110 PSI on the steers and a hundred on the drives. Should I just
0: drives? Drives, drives not are enough? fine. Not enough on your steer. So okay. here's the easy way to think about pressure in truck tires, and it works almost all of the time. Look on the tire all on right. the steer axle. We're only talking about the steer axle right now. Look at the tire and what is right. the pressure that they recommend on the sidewall. Okay. Now, no, hold on. Yeah, I mean, the shop
7: changes no, the drives no. every
0: uh, They change the steers every six months or so, so I'm not but, sure. Okay, but that's but how look. you do I it. I haven't that, looked. You, you just look at your steer okay. tire. Whatever it says on the sidewall, add ten pounds. Okay. So if your so sidewall if I'm says 110, I should run one twenty. Yep. If your sidewall says one twenty, you should run one thirty. And the problem with trying to run one thirty is trying to get a hundred and thirty pounds of pressure on the road. Nobody pumps that much anymore. Yeah, I don't think no loves can't do that no none of them can But or I guess that's... the other stops either Yeah, so you either have to go to, you know, an independent garage that can just turn their compressor up for you or find a shop that'll do it for you, or you can actually buy some of these little, you know, construction compressors will go up to 150, 160 pounds. Now, they don't do a lot of volume, but if all you're trying to do is top off a steer tire that needs 10 or 15 more pounds, it'll do it in, you know, 10 minutes or so. It takes it a little while. So, Look at the sidewall on a steer tire, add 10 pounds, always. Doesn't matter if it's summer, winter, that's what you do with steer tires. Now, your drive tires, if we're talking about wear, the pressure on your drive tire is not very critical. You could run, in a lot of cases, you can run as low as 80 pounds on a drive tire, and you won't get unusual wear. You could also run... 130 pounds in that tire and you probably won't get any unusual wear what will change is that the softer you make the tire the better it will ride you'll notice it but the worse your fuel economy will be the stiffer we make the tire the worse it will ride and and you'll feel it but the better fuel economy will get now it's, it's only a little bit we're not talking about you know three or four tenths okay. of a mile per gallon. We're probably talking about a tenth or so, something we can't even really measure accurately, but we know it happens. Again, yeah, it's well, physics.
7: I, I, I got you. Yeah, I'm used to like you know my truck right now. Over the past ten thousand miles, has averaged uh, eight point three mpg, which I guess is fine for twenty twenty. So I'll I'll keep the pressures up, I guess, on the on the uh, drives.
0: Yeah, here's another way to think about that. Remember when we were talking about pressure? We said the more pressure you put in a tire, the less the sidewall will flex, and the less heat will be generated. And what is heat? Heat is always lost energy.
3: Okay. Every time miles per gallon. Yeah. Every
0: time we make something hot, that means we lost energy to do it.
9: Okay.
0: Gotcha. So, there you go. That that, and it's across the board. Winter time, summer doesn't matter what the temperature is. That's what you start with in the morning, and that's what you should stick with. And it will do better in the summer. I know people think they should be letting air pressure out because it's going up so much in this heat. You should be doing the opposite. You should be making yeah. sure you're putting more in.
7: Okay. It's just almost like, minutes. um, it's almost like swim. It's like swimming underwater. You know, it, you can actually do it better when you blow out a breath and then hold it. Yeah. Which just like this seems counterintuitive.
0: Yeah. No, you're like, right. It is counterintuitive and it's exactly what works.
1: Kevin on so a car that calls for, they don't go away yet oh, no, I mean, on we, a car that calls for 40 PSI. What would you run that at?
0: Well, now we'll go back to how much experience do I have. And in car tires, I don't really think about all these things the way I do in a truck tire. So if if whatever the manufacturer mm-hmm. calls for, that's what I put in. Now, I'll tell you on my um, Range Rover, the auto, um, you know, the system that measures the tire pressure, I can see it all on the dash, pretty common on most cars today. Right. Um, it actually right. allows two different settings that I can go in and change. They actually have a performance setting where I can set my system so that I think it requires, if I remember, like 36 pounds. And if it drops below that, the sensors <laughs> will go off and it'll tell me, or I have a comfort mode where I can set the system to monitor 32 pounds instead. I'd leave it on the comfort mode. I can tell the difference in the way it rides. It rides better with the lower pressure in it. And my tires might wear out a little bit faster, but honestly, on my cars, my tires become five and six years old anymore before I wear them out. I just don't put enough miles on them. So I end up replacing tires. You know, after five or six years, they still have
1: probably 40% tread left on them. I still have uh, tires that were made in 2013 on my 2014 pickup with uh, 39,000, I'm still running them. Yeah, exactly. And you could probably they're get another kind of 20 nine or 30, years old. 000. Yeah. And they're nine years old. And when I go to the local tire store, the fellow that owns it is the next owner operator. He looks at him. He's an older fellow, a little bit older than me. He said, Oh, I'll keep running them. But his younger employees say, you better change them.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's, there's something else that and this gets really confusing and this is why with trucks we get more confused about pressure and recommendations the sidewall on a car tire or i think even light truck tires i'm not sure about light truck but i know car tires the side the number on the sidewall is what they consider the max pressure You really shouldn't inflate more than what that number is. But on a commercial tire, they use a different system. The number on the sidewall on a commercial tire is rated at the max weight. So we can actually go beyond that number. And on a steer tire, we should go beyond that number. But it's because they use two different systems for the numbers they put on the sidewall interesting okay and matt just sent me a note he said light truck is the same as car and i i say that because that is a different class of tire there are uh auto tires for automobiles light truck tires and then commercial truck tires so auto and light truck the number on the sidewall is the max pressure you should run on a truck a commercial truck it's not the max pressure it's the recommended pressure at the max weight. We can go beyond that. And on a steer tire, we actually want to. Especially these newer low rolling resistant steer tires really suffer from not having enough pressure in them. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's uh let's go to California this time. David, welcome to the program. Okay. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind?
5: Hey, I I think, first of all, about your tire stuff, I have a a Chevy 3500 HD of 2020, and about my back tires are supposed to run at 85 pounds, and you're right, I I leave them at 85, and I can monitor my gauge on a hot day, they go up to about 97 when I'm running down the road, so... Uh, They're just below 100 on a hot day, so I just bought the tires. Um, But uh, my question for you is this. uh, E85 flex fuel. I have a uh, 2020 Chevy Silverado 3500 HD. It was the first year for the 6.6 liter gas engine. Not that it's not a turbo diesel, it's the identifier for the engine is L8E, Lima 8 Tango. And uh, it it was not produced as a flex fuel vehicle for E85. I I drive about 4,500 miles a month. I have a repo company. And my suburban is a flex fuel vehicle and I you normally don't use flex fuel but I noticed that flex fuel although cheaper it doesn't get as good a gas mileage it loses a little bit of mpg but now with the gas prices in California 6.40 a gallon flex fuel is 3.79 a gallon so here's my question in Oh, hey, the year hey, 2021 hey, next wait, year wait, wait a minute
0: <laughs> I I want to go over something you just said go What's over that? those numbers again gas is how much where you are in California 640 and flex fuel. That's just, that's just 85% right now. Is that 15% ethanol or does that mean it's 85% ethanol?
5: It's 80, 85% ethanol, 15% gas. And what's the price? 379.
0: You gotta be kidding me.
5: No, 379, I, I bought it I, yesterday.
0: I don't know why we're not talking about this more. And Biden just did something that allowed them to sell more E85. I think what it was was they have to stop selling E85 in the summertime because of emissions and he just changed that and and said, you know, you can I think you can keep uh pumping or producing E85. Here's the thing that uh, I'm going to get a little political here and maybe I'll even carry this theme over. I had no idea E85 was that much cheaper. But here's why this is part of why everybody's food is becoming so damn expensive because we're taking the corn to go make cheap fuel. And now all the food producers who use high fructose corn syrup in everything they produce, the cost of that has gone through the roof. This is a really, really stupid policy, but I digress. Go back to your, your question.
5: So here, here's my question. Um, so my, again, my, my truck is a 2020. For the next year, 2021, the the LAT same engine became flex fuel capable. I'm trying to find out what Chevrolet changed on the truck to make it flex fuel capable, so I could do that to my truck to run E85. I'd like to run E85 during th- this high fuel prices just for the savings of money. I know I'll drop a little bit of fuel mileage, but I'd like to run E85 because I'm going to save you know two and a half bucks a gallon. Yeah, so that's huge. So my question huge. is this: Does anybody from does anybody from Pittsburgh Power know if, one, what do I have to do to make it flex fuel capable? And the other question is if I were to just go ahead and stick E85 in it or mix it a half a tank of regular fuel and a half a tank of E85, am I going to hurt anything? I don't know. Does I can tell you one thing, to- thing I would put in it. Well, well, I've sure got, I've got it. the catalyst. I've got the catalyst. I might put the catalyst in it because that will help ignite it. Yes. Yeah. I do have that. That's right. I got to get a new, I've got the, mine's a little old. It's, it turns, it's turning black in the, in the jug a little bit here. I think I've got the older, older original version. So's mine. It's okay. It doesn't hurt it. Okay, good. It's good. But uh, yeah, I was, I was putting that in there and uh, it did did help a little bit. And, and uh, I pulled the plugs out. I never let plugs I pulled my spark plugs out at 141,000 miles. They were as clean as a whistle clean as a whistle. Wow. The gap went from 035 to 043, but they look like brand new spark plugs. I've never run spark plugs that long. And uh, I think E85 had a little bit to do, or the uh, catalyst had a little bit to do with that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But,
3: yeah, but back to your original question, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mix the fuel, especially if it's not designed for it. I mean, I don't know exactly what they all change because it's not, you know, I don't work for GM, but they most likely right. put a flex fuel sensor so that they know how much ethanol is in the fuel. Uh, because on those ones, you can run regular 87 or you can run, you know, E85. So they have to know well, how much yeah. ethanol content. They added that sensor to yeah. the it. The second thing you probably did was obviously ECM calibration changes because you can run more timing on the E85 vehicle versus if you just run regular unleaded. So you have to reflash the ECM as well. And most likely they have bigger injectors because it takes like 30% more fuel on E85 to make the same power. Um, so probably at least has the ethanol sensor, a different ECM calibration, and bigger injectors, along with maybe different fuel lines because I'm not an expert, but I think I read something that um, depending on what fuel lines you have and stuff like that, it's not really good. Uh, you can't really mix and match fuel lines and stuff like that but uh, yeah, I that, something that's about
5: like, the E the 85 might hurt fuel lines and seals or something like that. But, but I remember there was a, there was a conversion kit you could buy years ago and that's what it was. It was a lot of seals and gaskets and things like that. So, so your suggestion is don't do it right now. Correct.
3: No. And oh, I would say you can do it. Just, I would do more research as far as um, what it takes <laughs> to get the ECM reflash as far as operate operating system wise, because I know, Right. I've seen tuners do it to like Corvettes and you know Camaros and stuff like that when they put an E85 sensor on those and they can run E85. So this is even like right. a 2005 engine they're running on E85. Uh, it's like an a right. race application, but I reflashes the operating system so he can add that flex fuel sensor. I think he changes the line in the injectors, and that's what they do on the race cars to get them run E85. Uh, yours is probably a little bit more complicated than that, but. Um, that's probably, you know, you know, the basics, but, uh, it was probably direct injection. So I don't know if you can really get bigger direct injectors,
5: but right, right. that's yeah, I've looked, I've awesome. looked for, I've looked for two years for someone that offers a tune for that truck, just for the fuel, fuel, fuel mileage. And nobody offers a tune for it. Edge doesn't offer it. Um, nobody offers a tune for that truck. There's a couple of things you can buy. It's a, it's a chip, you know, you put it in your OBD. I bought that for 200, but it didn't work. It didn't do anything. You
3: know. Yeah, you're not really able to pick up much fuel mileage uh in a gas engine without making some sort of hard part uh changes. I mean you can run gotcha. it lean but that's that sort of uh you know it 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 can hurt the engine depending on how you tune it or whatever. You can run a little lean, but I
5: mean that's probably not something I really recommend for reliability. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I I appreciate all you guys do. I'm not a truck driver, but I've been listening to Kevin for years. And I say it every time I talk to Kevin that the world is a better place because Kevin is in it. And it's even better because Pittsburgh power is along for the road for the trip. Thank you so much, guys. Well, Mm -hmm. thank you. We appreciate that.
0: Yeah. I appreciate it. um, Yeah. That uh, I had no idea that they were selling E85 that cheap. That's crazy.
1: Yeah I don't know if I've ever seen it. What's that? I don't know if I've ever seen it. But you've got to be careful now if you pull up to the gas pump if it's there that you're not pumping it.
0: Yeah, isn't it um I, I think it's really popular in the Midwest, which would make sense because that's where we grow all the corn that they have to have to make it so you don't have to transport it as far. But uh the fact that they're basically And look, I eat nothing that has high fructose corn syrup in it. So this isn't an issue for me. But the majority of the people in our country have no clue how much corn they actually eat. And now we're stealing that corn to make fuel and driving food prices through the roof and creating food shortages. This is a really stupid policy to do this. Here, here's um, There was a book I read, and I, I've talked about this before. I'm not going to go back into all the details, but it was really cool. The author actually could show that a Big Mac meal at McDonald's. So I'm pretty sure it was the Big Mac, the fries, a soda, And I think there might have been a dessert, like an ice cream or a sundae or something in there too. He actually broke it all down and like 81% of the calories in that meal come from corn. Well, wait a minute. How's that possible? There's no corn in this meal. I didn't order corn on the cob. How can 80% of the calories in this meal be from corn? Well, first off, Every calorie in the soda comes from corn. It's a corn soda. The only calories that are in there come from high fructose corn syrup. So all of your calories in that soda came from corn. The bun has high fructose corn syrup in it. The condiments, the ketchup, the sauces all have high fructose corn syrup. The meat was corn fed cow. So those are basically calories coming from corn. And the reason all that stuff is so cheap is because the government subsidizes corn so heavily. All right. I feel like I'm transitioning into the pit. I better go back to the calls here. Let's
1: let's go to. Oh, go ahead. You don't eat corn in a cob then when it's in season. I do not. Nope. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Oh, by the way,
0: 90% of the corn grown in the United States now is genetically modified. That means we've spliced in genes from other things, like even animals. We've taken genes out of animals and spliced them into corn. You know, um, Bruce, why? Um, What the biggest modification they did to corn, do you know what it was?
8: No.
0: So... You've heard of Roundup, right? The weed killer? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's glyphosate. Glyphosate is the chemical. You can watch all over TV now. There's lawsuits because glyphosate absolutely causes cancer. We know it does. It causes some horrendous cancers. Um, There's lawsuits. It's, you know, we don't dispute it anymore. Here's what they do to corn. They splice a gene into corn so that glyphosate, this weed killer, won't affect it. You can saturate that plant, that corn plant, with the weed killer, and they do all season long to kill all the weeds. They just soak the whole field. But we've genetically modified the corn so that glyphosate won't affect the corn.
1: How do you spell that? Is it G-L-Y-F-I-C-A-T-E? Yeah, g l y
0: p-h-o glyphosate s-a-t-e yeah okay yeah that's the main are there chemical weed killers it? that do not have that um ooh, uh, there probably are um i doubt that there are any true chemical weed killers that are actually good for us though um okay. and that'll be you know our topic <laughs> tomorrow i have uh a guy coming on the show with me that is like a pioneer in soil health and regenerative farming, and we're going to be talking a lot about that. So really, there are no chemicals we should be putting on our plants, certainly not glyphosate, and we shouldn't be modifying the plant genetically. That's a Franken plant. I mean, that thing doesn't exist in nature, and now it's about 90% of the corn we grow.
1: Are we still paying farmers, the government still paying? Paying farmers not to plant. Yes, yeah, that goes on all the time. That goes on all the time that we need food and now we need corn for. Well, and, and corn, whenever. yeah,
0: corn. The government has subsidized corn so heavily that entire companies have been created just to figure out what kind of a product we can make with corn because it's so cheap
1: i don't understand why we pay people not to farm uh, yeah you're right great topic and that's for, been going on for years and i've been, decades yep. i think yeah
0: yeah, yeah. crazy okay. all right let's uh let's go back to the phones um we can talk about that kind of stuff more in the next hour in the pit if we want uh steve in ohio it's your turn welcome
9: Yes, I'm riding by a uh, cornfield right now, and there's not a weed in sight. But the corn looks really good, so that they're, <laughs> they're using their their uh, glyphosate seed from Monsanto. <laughs> it, it works, so no doubt about that.
0: Yep, so, it works. Yeah,
9: and that book was the uh, omnivore, Omnivore's Dilemma was the book where he broke down the McDonald's meal uh, cabinet. You remember that Omnivore's Dilemma? Was,
0: wasn't uh, that an awesome he story? A
9: different kind of yeah, he broke down, all, you know, he broke down a, uh, uh, a meal that came from Joel Salatin's, uh, uh, farm. And, yeah. You know, everything about that, it was very good, obviously. But yeah, that was a, that was an awesome book, but uh, it definitely was. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm in the Midwest every week and I'm telling you, everything out here, there are just no wheat. And, uh, and, and, you know, I like, I, I use a little Roundup where needed in, in the yard. Uh, but I, you know, you don't want it on your food. And you have to be very careful with it, but like I say, it is—it is, it is uh, definitely. Uh, it, it I, I, they, yeah, they, they're trying to. I think they're trying to make sure our life expectancy goes down. Yeah, <laughs> they're trying to depopulate the planet between that and the vaccine, but that's the bit talk. So uh, <laughs> we we'll get that later. Hey, um, hey, let, but, me, yeah, my, let, uh,
0: let me, let me, let me jump, yeah, let me jump in there real quick because. I have to admit there was a time years ago where I would use Roundup now and then too because it works really good and weeds are a pain in the ass, but I don't use anything like that anymore. I've replaced my Roundup for weeds with a flamethrower. It works really good.
9: (laughs) I hear you. That does sound good. That sounds like it would definitely work.
0: It it definitely works. And you know what's funny? Um, Down the street from me is our fire chief, uh, for the town here, it's a little town, but the fire chief lives right down the street. He stopped yesterday to borrow my flamethrower so he could take care of some weeds down around his house.
6: <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> all right, that's funny, but yeah,
1: Kevin, that's what I I use that in Colorado because it's just sagebrush, so I burn it with the flamethrower. Works great. Yeah, yeah,
9: I, I that is that is good. Well, I don't, I don't have a garden at home because I don't have time to do it. So, uh, but yeah, for, for around the flower, sometimes I do a little bit around there, but I, I don't use much. I probably, uh, use a, uh, container of, of concentrate concentrated in about two years. I just keep a, keep a little bit in a, in a, in a little, uh, in a little, uh, mixed together with some water, uh, when I need it, but, uh, that's it. Kind of, kind of on the, mainly on the, uh, on, on the curbs and gutters to keep the grass from growing through the little, you know, the little spots and all there. That's kind of where I do, but I like that flame floor idea. That's 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 something to think about. Then, uh, Bruce, um, I uh, keep excellent records on my truck. I've got thirteen hundred fill-ups in the last eight years. I got two hundred and thirty-four on this truck. that's on uh, fairly new, uh, two years old, with two hundred and twenty-four thousand miles on it, and and every tank has had max mileage. Uh, I run the same route every week, not exactly, but same areas. I go through the mountains of West Virginia every week. Uh, go, you know, work my way up to Wisconsin and straight back to North Carolina. Uh, same thing. I got, you know, I got four dedicated customers, different customers that are in those uh, in those areas. Um, and so I would definitely be interested in talking to you too about uh, I don't mind buying the, the product and, uh, and testing it for you because I keep excellent 30, my 30 day average is 9.06 miles per gallon and my lifetime on this truck is Eight point five two, and I don't idle. I've got ten hours of idle time in in twenty one months. So uh, you know, it's, okay. I, I think i might with the you know, I got a lot of excellent records to be able to compare to. Uh, so, uh, so call
1: so me, a, call, call, me around, uh, call me around call me around one o'clock or so, or it's like a okay, quarter call, to do one.
9: You, do, I, do I call the uh, main number at Pittsburgh Power and they transfer me to you, or or do yes, you know the
1: forty eighty number. Okay.
9: 40, okay. That sounds good. That's all, right. that's all I had. But, uh, uh, but yeah, that, you know, uh, definitely the more people you got to have good records. I know Douglas does. I, I know Douglas from the CNCs. Uh, yeah, I know he, he would have good, and anybody, anybody on kind of a dedicated run like that. Uh, yeah, mine's year round dedicated run too. Uh, summer and winter, same, kind of the same area. I go through the mountains every week twice and, uh, and, and still, and then mostly in the Midwest, I like, to say, flat out here and, uh, uh, so uh, so yeah so I I will give you a call and uh, and like I say uh,
1: we'll get together you, on that your runs your runs a pretty tough run isn't it Wisconsin down through West Virginia and in North Carolina you're not on very much level
9: no no I'm I'm, I'm level kind of till I get uh, in the middle of Ohio and then you know southeastern Ohio is kind of like West Virginia you know so uh, uh, so I'm up yes, and down the mountains to then and like. Yeah, so uh, it's a good mix. So it's a good mix. And, of course, once I hit to the bottom of Fancy Gap, uh, I'm losing fuel economy during that two-hour, three-hour run through there, three or four-hour run through there. Pick up from from Fancy Gap down to the coast of North Carolina, where I drop the load and, and live. Uh, so um, yeah, so so it's a, it's you know it's interesting to watch my fuel economy every week because you'll lose a half a mile per gallon on that one leg, uh, just in that three or four hours in the mountains and then you'll pick it back up, up a little in the of North Carolina running your know, head towards the coast. So, yeah, uh, so, you that's, know,
1: so
4: that's, good mix.
1: That's why every time somebody calls me and we talk about fuel mileage, I say, where do you mostly run? Because if you're Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, and Michigan, that's pretty easy. But then when you hit the West Virginia and Pennsylvania, I think Pennsylvania up to Northern Maine, nothing's level. So, and it's amazing. the are rolling hills through North and South Carolina.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, let's grab another, you know, um, Brandon just sent me a message on, I think it was truckingtribe.com. Let me go back and look. That um, Biden Actually, I think it was, not, yeah, <laughs> no, another Brandon. Um, he, he sent me a message. It's on Healthy Tribe, I think. He says E85 in Iowa is around 270 a gallon. That's crazy. I know they, uh, people probably think that's a good thing because it's giving somebody a break on gas prices right now, but there aren't that many cars running on E85 and it's driving food prices through the roof. I, this is just a bad idea. Let's, uh, let's grab another call. Let's go to Charlotte this time. John, welcome to the program.
8: Hey guys.
10: Thanks for what y'all do. it uh, been a, big proponent of Pittsburgh power over the years. They've done a lot of work to my truck tuned and, uh, Bruce, you haven't talked about the diesel force clean out. I got to tell you that that was probably one of the best things I did to this truck. I, I never see any codes. I never, you know, I used, I run the catalyst too, but never see any codes. I hardly ever do a, uh, any kind of never done a force regen. Um, but, uh, I wanted to uh, tell you about a little story. I went to Love's to get my tires at the tire pass filled up and told them, yeah, 130 on the steers, 110 on the drives, and 105 on my trailer. And the kid goes, 130? I go, yeah. And he, and he goes, well, I won't go there. Bring it to the shop. Uh, you know, After he did the rest of the tires, bring it to the shop, and I'll fill it up off of that line. Bring it to the shop. He comes out. He goes, oh. My boss told me the tire could blow. So I can't put the one thirty in. <laughs> I said, well, tell your I, boss he's an idiot. I, yeah. You and know, he, but he did give me, they give me the line and let me do it myself.
0: Here's, here's the yeah. crazy thing. Um, and I've never verified this, but, Mike Beckett has said it several times, and I trust that uh, if Mike Beckett says it, he's probably researched and it's true. And it's such a crazy number that even if we cut it in half, it would still be pretty telling. I guess commercial truck tires don't actually show any real risk of exploding until close to 400 pounds of pressure. What actually will fail first is the rim. The rim itself is where we are limited on how much pressure we can put in, not the tire. The tire itself will hold crazy amounts of pressure.
4: Yeah, imagine a tire
10: guy at the at the roads going, oh, 130, it might blow. You better not do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So let me turn back the hands of time. In the late 60s, early 70s, when we had the blue laws and the malls were closed and we raced Corvettes in the parking lot through the pilings, we would run as fast as about 110 miles an hour across Greengate Mall in Greensburg and then through the corners we would take a tire that was made for 30 pounds of air and put 65 PSI in it to keep it from rolling over in an autocross. And then when we would leave to drive the car home, we'd put it back down to the 30 or 35. Yeah, the, the tires. So we ran double air pressure. Yeah, so
0: imagine that that number, double. That would mean taking a truck tire to 200 pounds of pressure.
1: Yeah. And I never, ever, in all the years of autocrossing, never saw a person blow a tire or roll one off a rim. Yeah.
0: It, it's a shame that we have people like in the tire industry, that's their job, and they're this ignorant about how a tire and how pressure works.
10: Yeah, it makes truck- me so scared. Oh, sorry. I was going to say it makes me scared to go in there to get my oil changed. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you probably should
7: be a little cautious.
1: Yeah, but yeah, I know. Yeah, I, extremely. I, when I got into the trucking industry, I was young. You know, I was nineteen years old, and I I witnessed there was a lot of people in the trucking industry, and it was just a job and if you posed a question or asked for a part or something that wasn't normal you'd see them roll their eyes and uh, they, ha- they hated seeing me come in to the local <laughs> company dealership in 1978-79 because uh, everything I wanted wasn't normal and Tom Bonzigorski was the lead parts guy and, and I'd walk into his office and his eyes would roll and I'd say really Tom is it that bad he said Bruce he said you don't do anything normal. <laughs> I said, well, I said, you know, I deal with an elite group of owner operators and they don't want normal. And, uh, so it's kind of interesting. And, uh, there's a lot of people in trucking that it's just a job and they want to be there from eight to five and go home and drink their beer. And they're not interested in anybody that makes them think.
0: Bruce, that's, uh, and
1: that, that- goes from parts people to the mechanics to everywhere.
0: Yeah, and we can just drop the phrase "trucking" in that sentence. That that's across the board anymore. Right, you just you find very few yeah. people in any industry anymore that really, really care about doing something outstanding. Yeah. Let's grab another call. We're just about out of time. I'm going to take a couple more calls here. We're going to go to Ohio. Eric, welcome to the program.
8: Hi, Kevin. Um, two things. One, I was listening to you talk about the uh, the E85 fuel, and I didn't catch whether it was Pete or Leroy, that, but I thought that one of them said uh, that it takes 30% more fuel through the injectors. Now if you look at the numbers then, if gas was six twenty a gallon and the E eighty five was three seventy nine, but you calculate the difference with that thirty percent, they're practically the same price then. You're not saving a damn thing by putting corn squeezes in your engine. So yeah, I, I- I don't,
0: in the I, I don't know enough about fuel economy differences. I've basically ignored E85 over the years because I think it's a horrible idea. We shouldn't even be making that fuel. It shouldn't even exist. But if those are the numbers, oh, if your fuel economy drops so far that you're almost paying the same thing, that makes it even worse. You're right. We're not saving or helping anybody here except... Maybe the corn farmers, but, um, you know, they're not getting any big breaks anywhere. So um, probably just And you're adding,
8: you're adding more equipment and more sensors to a vehicle that already has too many things that break that we can't get when they break in the first place.
0: Yeah. And and right now, when the talk all over the world, even in our country right now, there is talk about food shortages which is insane that we have to even think about that in our country, but we do. And now we're going to take a bunch of food, not that I care. Like I say, I wouldn't eat any of that stuff anyway, but a lot of people eat that stuff. It's all that they can afford, all that food with high fructose corn syrup in it is really, really cheap because the the corn is so cheap, but it's not cheap when you start pulling that much out to, to create fuel out of it. We're hurting everybody with this. Now, just the
8: argument I've heard the argument I've heard against that in the past, I don't know whether it's true, I'm just I'm just throwing this out there, is that there are different types of corn that are being used. That oh, the corn okay. used for ethanol is not the corn used for feed, that's I, not the corn used for
0: you know. I, I'm, I'm sure. That <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. That's probably correct. But you still have to have land to plant that corn, and corn, for the most part, is corn. All of the prices are, of corn are affected by this. And because if we needed more corn for our food supply, where are you going to plant it if everybody's planting corn to make ethanol? Because that's where the money is.
8: Well. But that the whole corn thing has astounded because over the last couple of decades, I've seen it go from where, you know, Ohio and Indiana and uh, Illinois used to be where the corn came from. Now, when I'm driving across eastern Washington, there's corn everywhere. It's like corn wasn't a thing in Washington just no. a couple of decades ago.
0: That's that's yeah. what I mean. But we've created a system where they're planting corn everywhere they can find to plant corn and we should stop it.
8: Now, total aside, something I just thought of was I tried to look up your app on the Google Play Store, and the only thing that comes up under Let's Truck is the Fuel Gauges app. Do you have, Are those apps combined now, the Fuel Gauges on the audio app, or is it two separate
0: apps? Um, they are still two separate apps right now. They are going to become one app. We will be releasing one app that does a whole bunch of stuff over time. We'll keep kind of integrating these um I okay, that I wasn't able hold, to find. Yeah, hold oh. on one second. Let me check that and if not I'm going to ask. I was not very involved. Oh no. I'm on Google Play right now. Type in in the search bar, oh. type in Let's Truck with no space and the what I see is um Oh. It it comes That's right a- up. It's the first one there. And, and then fuel gauges words is next to it yeah maybe you just helped us out there don't type it in as two words type it in as one
8: no. that's kind of like well it's, it's a connection made in my head if you remember no. dr boz's no. no. any way you can talking about her mother's cancer she put any way in as one word to make it easier for people to find
0: <laughs> well, I will say this: I just typed in "Let's Truck" as two words, and you're right; fuel gauges comes up to the top. But if you just scroll down a little bit, I see the Let's Truck app.
8: Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try again later. I, I just it didn't work when I tried it the first time. So yeah, um, it, it's what's there the either way. look like? Because the fuel gauges app looks like an LT now, and didn't used to. What's the What's the radio or what the audio app look like?
0: The uh, symbol. Uh, hold on one second. So, the as of right now, the That's- fuel gauges <laughs> app, uh, the app you're looking for is an orange and black square with a shield, our shield inside, and the letters LT. Oh, okay. All
8: right, then. Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah, go get the app. It really is uh, really is awesome. Let's grab another call. Let's go to Ohio, Michael. Welcome to the program.
1: Hey, hello, Kevin. This is Michael. I'm in Cleveland outside now. I got a flex cute question answer just a regular HHR 2007. I'm running E88 in it. Why can't I run E85? Uh, well, I, I certainly
0: can't answer that question. I would think
1: if oh, I- no, I'm hoping the power guys might have a insight. Yeah, I,
0: I've never even heard of E88, but I'm assuming it's 3% more corn or ethanol than E85. And yeah, I, am- I think it's less. Oh, less. Really? Just a little bit. Well, see, that's what I was confused about. Be, you know, I, know. Does somebody know this answer for sure? I mentioned this with the one caller. Is E85 85% ethanol or 85% gasoline? If that's what this even is, is it a mix of gas and ethanol? Yes. And if, yeah, that's what I thought. So is that 15% ethanol or 85% ethanol?
3: No, E88 is, um, so if you have regular gasoline, it's, you know, it's what, up to 10% ethanol. I think most gas pumps say, so E88 or 15 is more ethanol in regular unlighted gasoline. So then you would have versus 10%, you have 15% now versus E85 is 85% ethanol and 15% gas. So then
0: wouldn't E88 have
3: to be more ethanol? No, it's just five percent more than regular gasoline. Versus E85 is eighty-five percent ethanol and only fifteen percent gas. Like the ratios are swapped.
0: Wait a minute, I, I am confused. And
1: so- rings have. Sorry to, ask, but wouldn't have all the o-rings have to be the same then?
3: So, I, I guess to answer Kevin's question, so if you go to a, a pump and you get eighty-seven fuel, that is it's, it's E10 fuel. So, if you look at the bottom of a, some pumps, actually say E10 at the bottom, or they say on the pump, may contain up to 10% ethanol. So, E10 fuel is 9% regular gasoline and 10% ethanol. E85 is 15% gasoline and 85% ethanol. So E88 then- is up to 15% ethanol and, what is that, 85% uh, gasoline. Right, so that's what I just said to this
0: caller. If he can run E85 or E88, which he says he can, then why couldn't he run E85?
2: Because the E85 has more ethanol.
3: <laughs> yeah, How? It doesn't make sense that they label it that way. One you... had 15% ethanol and the other one had 85% ethanol. That's a wildly different ECM calibration that's wildly different well, signing well here's
0: here's what i'm confused about why do we call it e85 and we're referring to the ethanol at 85 but when they call it e88 we're refer- that now is 88% gasoline that doesn't make any sense it's the mess yeah, with us
3: that's, that's <laughs> i'm more confused oh, than ever yeah it's poorly laid Mhm. Me too. And, and for the last, he was he was uh, asking about what real world uh, answers are. Is I had a Jeep Cherokee that was E85, and I tested it both ways. And if if I put regular eighty seven in it, I could get um like seventeen miles per gallon. And if I mm-hmm. put E85 in, I would get fourteen. So there was like a three, I'd say three to four mile per gallon well, difference. Hey in running E85. Now, I don't know cost-wise what that comes out to, but.
0: Hey, maybe, maybe. I noticed that too. Maybe the, Matt just sent me something. Um, Leroy, when you're saying 87 fuel, are you talking about octane? Yeah, regular yeah. octane.
3: Yeah, regular unleaded, yeah.
0: But, but that 87 number is an octane number, right? Yeah. Well, that has nothing to do
3: with ethanol. Yeah, so it's poorly labeled. So it's not E88; it's just 88.
2: So it's 88 octane oh, with 15 uh, percent ethanol. Got it. So it's really confusing. Well, you buy E85,
3: which is is 85 percent ethanol. When you buy 88, it's not E88 because ethanol octane like E85. That's like 100 octane or 105, depending on your quality.
0: Yeah, but what now I think I get it. We're confusing these two numbers that have almost nothing to do with each other. Octane rating, I understand completely, but we can't put E in front of that 88. That That changes everything. It's yeah. no longer an octane number we're looking at. Now we're looking at an ethanol percentage, so it's not E88. It's just 88. That's the octane. Now it makes sense.
3: Now I get it. If you relabel the pumps, if you take octane off all the numbers, you could put E10, uh, E15, and E85. That's what it would be. Got it. Okay. If you took the octane numbers off. Okay,
0: so for the caller that's on the line right now, you're not looking at E88. You're just looking at 88 octane on fuel. That's what's confusing
2: you, I think. Yeah, they, I don't know how. Yeah, that fifteen percent ethanol in it. Right. Right. So one of the things I was looking at, it, it's labeled as 88 slash E15. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 88 octane with 15% ethanol. Exactly. Now I confusing get confusing as hell.
3: Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Just
2: really people. And they were talking about making ethanol because of the food. I mean, you're really taking food away from people and or, you know, even though you don't eat. I think it's dent corn is what they grow for ethanol and you don't eat that. It's meant to feed. You could plant something else. They had talked about making ethanol out of um, seaweed because it's easy to grow seaweed. Right. Some crappy water. Right. I don't well, think it ever went anywhere with it. Here's the other thing we should think
0: about. Wasn't the whole point behind ethanol kind of the whole green thing? We're not using, you know, we're not drilling for oil. and But the problem is when you look at all the activity it creates, we have to haul stuff to the farm, fertilizers, all that stuff to grow that corn. Then we have to use a bunch of machines using, you know, gasoline and diesel to harvest all that corn, to process all the corn, to ship all the corn. We're polluting more to create this there there was no purpose behind doing this other than all the government subsidies around corn this is just a horrible idea and the fact that they're now able to sell these you know this e85 this high percentage of ethanol that cheap is just crazy
3: It makes sense in a like if you had a race car because you get a hundred octane fuel for three dollars a gallon versus Absolutely. whatever uh, race yeah. fuel is you know eight nine ten dollars a gallon. So it makes sense in a race car, but not really in a uh, regular passenger car.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't make sense in our economy. It's it's a really bad idea for our economy. All right, we uh, we're going to wrap this up. Um, I could just continue right on the same topic though as I roll into the pit. Although I had something totally different today. Um, we'll see. Um, could go in several different directions. Anything you guys want to close with before we wrap this up?
1: Well, when I was 16, I, I worked at a Sinclair gas station, it was 24 cents a gallon. <laughs>
0: so. You know, I'm even old enough to remember so I those in,
1: prices.
2: Well, I was in high you school, when those? The, and it went to a buck a gallon. And our fuel pumps couldn't handle, there was no spaceport. <laughs> yeah, right. um, so we had to sell it by the half gallon. So you'd buy a half gallon at 15 dollars because oh, it's a dollar for the gallon. You and know,
3: between so was 1882 because I worked at one of the of exact year. You know, I, 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 can remember, I can
0: remember in high school gas being cheap enough that, you know, if you saved your change, you could pull in and buy, you know, four or five gallons with change.
1: Sure. We we'll still do that. It's just taking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin. I was the first in my group to have a car, and uh, I was sixteen. It was a fifty-six Plymouth, and uh, I would four of us would go out. with each buy? One gallon of gas for twenty five cents, and then we'd go to McDonald's or Winkies and get a French fry and a Coke for a quarter. <laughs> I it know. was fifty cents a night to go out. <laughs> hey, I got a call I got to take, so talk to All you right. later.
0: All right, we're going to wrap this up. Thank
1: you guys from Pittsburgh
0: Power. As always, we will do it again next week. Be safe, be profitable, be fit sure. and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford.